0: Hello, Trusted CI community. This is your webinar host, Jeanette dopp We have a bonus podcast episode. It's brought to us by our partners at the Research SOC. In March of this year, Trusted CI published its Framework Implementation Guide for Research Cyber Infrastructure Operators. In this podcast episode, Craig Jackson, the architect of the Trusted CI framework, and Susan Sons, the deputy director of the Research SOC, Discuss how to use the framework to enhance relationships with key stakeholders while driving forward action to improve the overall cybersecurity posture of an organization. You can learn more about the framework at trustedci.org framework, or to learn more about the Research SOC, go to researchsoc.iu.edu. That's researchsoc.iu.edu. Thanks. See you next time.
1: Well, good day, everyone, wherever you are, and welcome to our webinar, Operationalizing the Framework, Getting Management to Understand Cybersecurity. I'm your host, Todd Stone. Today's presenters are Craig Jackson. Craig is a program director at Indiana University's Center for Applied Cybersecurity Research and the architect of the Trusted CI Framework Implementation Guide, and Research SOC Deputy Director Susan Sons. To start our webinar, Craig will provide us with an overview of the implementation guide, but first, let's take care of some housekeeping details. For this webinar, all attendees are on mute. That doesn't mean we don't want to hear from you, though. Please feel free to ask your questions using the Q&A feature on your Zoom control panel. We'll address those questions once we get to the discussion and fireside chat uh, portion of the webinar, and we should have some additional time for Q&A afterwards, depending on how things go. This webinar is being recorded, and the recording and slides will also be made available on the Research SOC website. You need to give us a few days to get those processed and um, posted. This webinar is presented by the Research SOC, the National Science Foundation Security Operations Center for Research. There's more information about the Research SOC at researchsoc. With that, let's bring on our first presenter. Craig, take it away.
2: Uh, Thanks a lot, Todd, and thanks for having me. I'm going to try to share my slides here. Just have a few. Can you let me know if those are visible?
1: Yes, we can see your slides.
2: Great. So, again, thank you, Craig Jackson. I'm going to talk to you about uh, cybersecurity programs that work um, and specifically the Trusted CI Framework. I just have a handful of slides, um, and then we'll, we'll get uh, back in, We'll get into that discussion with Susan. <clears throat> um, so, uh, Todd mentioned the Trusted CI Framework Implementation Guide. Um, And I'll get to that in a second, but the trusted CI framework is something bigger. Um, It it is a a really foundational framework uh, designed to help organizations put the things in place that they need to do cybersecurity effectively and sanely. Um, So this structure focuses on foundational decisions. and, and, and focuses on these four pillars of mission alignment, governance, resources, and controls. This is not yet another long list of technical requirements. This is uh, categorically different from a lot of other cybersecurity guidance and frameworks out there. Um, if you wanna see that core, that main structure of, of the framework, uh, this is a, an image of the, the one pager that captures these four pillars and the 16 musts or, or requirements that go along with it. Uh, there's a URL there, uh, uh, trustciorg framework M1P, if you want to grab that just single page thing. Important part of the Trusted CI framework is its focus on cybersecurity programs. Um, uh, our definition, you know, taken from schwabby is a, a cybersecurity program is a group of related cybersecurity focused projects and and ongoing activities, managed in a coordinated way to obtain benefits not available for managing them individually. Right. This is about being organized, um, and. Uh, The one way that we think about it is is a cybersecurity program is like an organ. It's like a heart or a liver or kidneys or what have you that lives as part of uh, your organization through its life cycle. So so emphasis here, a cybersecurity program is not a plan. Uh, A program is something you're actually doing. It's not a project. Projects have a beginning, middle, and end, and you're done. and, and it's not just another, it's not a set of controls or lists of things that you're doing. Um, there are control sets like the CIS controls, control set you see in the NIST cybersecurity framework, 853 and so on. Uh, the Trust CI framework is designed to complement those by, by addressing these core programmatics. So the framework implementation guide, the Trust CI framework um, is the result of years of work, but, but we've been using that uh, in the higher ed and, and research community since 2018. Just uh, on March 1st of this year, we published this Framework Implementation Guide for Research Cyber Infrastructure Operators. If you want to see this, uh, go to trustedci.org framework. Uh, on that page, you'll see a green button. Hit the green button. Um, This guide gives research organizations a community-tailored head start in using the Trusted CI framework, choosing uh, known good paths and avoiding some of the problematic ones. The guide um, has roadmaps, uh, you know, clear implementation guidance steps for establishing mature cybersecurity programs. Again, we highlight common challenges in cybersecurity, as well as specific challenges we often see in the research community. Um, And there's lots of pointers to resources, um, including our uh, publicly available tools and templates. Some of those are are just really good uh, general cybersecurity resources, and some of them are are, are very specific uh, things that have been designed for or worked really well uh, to support science. And something I wanna highlight here, um, is that the framework Im- implementation guide was not just built by me. Um, we had a very uh, experienced multi-institutional team working on this and the guide was vetted <clears throat> by the Framework Advisory Board uh, that, that really uh, represents the, di- the diversity of our community and there's a there's an acknowledgement slide uh, later if, if you want to you know see a, a lot of the people who contributed to this. Um, Instead of giving you a full tour, in part because I can't wait to talk to Susan, I'll just give you a few ideas about getting started. If, if, this, if this webinar, if this thing piques your interest, sounds like it might fill, fill a, a gap for you, um, so, uh, here's a few ideas. One, um, go to trustedci.org slash framework core. Uh, this thing is a little more than that, than that one pager I showed you. It explains, it has basically a paragraph for each one of those 16 musts, um, so, so you, you or your leadership or whoever can just quickly get a handle on what we're talking about, and, and without doing any more, I would assert, you, you know, you're smart, uh, you work in this field, you can look at those musts and say, have we addressed this? If not, why not? If so, how's it working out? Do we need to think about change? Uh, second thing, again, you know, hit that green button and grab the guide uh, and share it with your team and leadership. I want to emphasize the leadership piece here. Um, this, this guide was, and the whole framework itself, was designed not only for cybersecurity people, not only for technologists, uh, but for leaders. And, and our experience so far is that you, you don't have to have a ton of cybersecurity experience to pick this thing up and get an idea of the fundamentals that we're talking about. Um, One last suggestion specific to the framework implementation guide, we lovingly call it the FIG, um, is at page seven of that guide, there's a one-page section on getting started that goes into a little bit more detail, offers a few more ideas for an organization that really seriously wants to to take this guide and find a way to run with it. Uh, that's the acknowledgement page. I'll, I, I think this is being recorded, so uh, people could pause here if they wanted to to, to look that over. And, and with that, um, I would I think uh, turn it over to Susan.
0: Hey everyone. So this is the part where I get to interrogate Craig a little more friendly than an interrogation, but if you folks have questions, please raise your hand or use the question and answer feature. Don't wait for a question block. Say what's on your mind. Um, Todd will interrupt us and make sure that we're talking about what you guys want to hear from us because I have my questions, but I get to talk to Craig every day. So Craig, you mentioned that the framework is not a list of controls. Can you explain how it's related to the control sets people are used to, like say the CIS top 20?
2: Yeah, um, absolutely. So um, one of the 16 musts, it's actually, it's must 15 is about baseline control sets. And it, it says organizations must adopt and use a baseline control set, like at least one. And things like the CIS controls, and, you know, Susan, you know, I love the CIS controls for a lot of reasons. That That's an example of a baseline control set. Uh, NIST CSF has a baseline control set, which is the main thing that people pay attention to in there or whatever. And so um, the the direction from uh, the TRECIS CI framework is there are good uh, baseline control sets out there, and you need to to pick one, adopt it and figure out how to use it. That doesn't mean you mindlessly use it and just like try to do every single thing uh, without putting thought into it, but uh, that, that's that's the big connection. And the one last thing I'll say is that when you get into the framework implementation guide, you know we, we recommend if you're not forced to do something else to, u- to, to use the CIS controls, it's a really good set.
0: I share your love for CIS top 20. Um, okay, so sometimes I find when we're doing consulting and outreach activities that leaders, especially non-technical, really senior leadership, want to jump into seeing controls implemented, especially the things they've heard of, red team assessments and deep code inspection, and put off having a program for, you know, somewhere down the line, or when we have more resources, what would you say to those people?
2: Um. I think it would depend a little bit on the the, the situation that the organization finds itself in and wh- what are those controls that leadership wants to see implemented. I think you mentioned like a, you know, red team assessments and deep code inspection, both of which can be very, you know, very, very good things. They don't sound as fundamental must do as some other security controls. So it it would kind of depend on which ones they're calling for. If, if I heard leadership saying we must we have to get two factor authentication in place, I would say yes, absolutely. Um, but you know, in terms of, I think you asked about you know putting off uh, developing a program. Um, I think until the responsibility is debt is delegated. Uh, the complete responsibility for a cybersecurity program sits at the top of the organization. So, um, if if organizational leadership is only focused on, hey, I want to see a deep packet inspection or what, whatever, um, I, I would just ask why. Um, wh- what about these? Uh, you know, what's going on with your budget? Um, you know, what's going on? You know, how are you delegating cybersecurity tasks through your organization? Like. I'm not sure that those are that, that some of these fundamental things are, are reasonably. I don't know how far you can kick the can down the road. Does that, does that
0: make sense? Absolutely. Um, so what's the starting point that you have to be this tall to ride this ride for using the framework? And how do organizations know when they reach it? And if they're not there yet, how do they get there?
2: You must be this tall to ride the ride. I would say any organization, and and keep in mind that the, the, you know, Trusted CI's mission is to support science um, and and research and discovery, Um, but the the framework at the highest level can apply to any organization. We've used it with uh, small governments. Um, We've, we've, you know, introduced it in corners of DOD. Um, uh, We've, Uh, trained uh, small but highly distributed highly successful uh, private sector businesses in it and and I would say that you know any organization can pick this thing up and and start using uh, the framework on a basic level I was thinking about uh, you know uh, this the other day somebody else posed this question to me and I was thinking you know I could I could I could and probably should apply the trusted CI framework to my family. It would take a little bit more translation, but you know, um, you know, if, if cyber threats are a real threat to you, and I feel like they're a threat to me, considering these things is worthwhile. But let me, let me just say that, that specifically for, for RCOs, for, for research cyber infrastructure organizations, um, there, there's a topic, and we touch on this a lot in the, in the FIG, in the, in the guide we just published, is many research organizations are uh, groups or units that are part, that have some sort of parent organization. That's really obvious when you've got like a research computing center that's part of an R1 school or something, but there's all kinds of relationships where there's some parent uh, parenting going on. Um, and whether the unit, whether that smaller group should formalize, like seriously formalize this uh, cybersecurity program of its own takes a little bit of judgment. Um, another kind of organization that we see, right, are collaborations or via virtual organizations, VOs. Um, and uh, um, uh, in the FIG, Appendix A. It's, I think it's only one page, but it specifically is about this. If you're a unit of a bigger organization or you have some kind of parent organization or you're a collaboration, what are the kind of things that you would, um, that you would consider in deciding? Of course, you need to care about cybersecurity, but do we, do we need to formalize our program at, the, at this unit or, or collab level? So I, I guess I would say, you know, in summary, every everybody's tall enough, but then you get you get into the weeds of the complexity of our community, and you know, there's some judgment calls to be made.
0: Okay, speaking of judgment calls, one of the frameworks musts is budget. Can you talk about that a little? How does a science organization when they know when they've budgeted enough?
2: How does a science organization know when they've budgeted enough? Um, Uh, So so this is a topic we definitely cover um, in uh, uh, MUST 11, which is about adequate resources, and MUST 12, which is specifically that that budget one. Um, First, let me say that I think there's there's another chapter about risk acceptance, which can be kind of a hairy concept, and we're trying to be fundamental and not like confuse people with a bunch of fancy terms. But one of the most fundamental acts of risk assessment in cybersecurity that everybody has to make is when to say enough is enough spending resources, all kinds of resources, money, people's time, social capital, functionality, right? Spending that stuff on cybersecurity, that, that's an act of risk assessment because you can't ever get all, you can't get rid of all cybersecurity risk. You could spend forever, right? Right. I just I just want to uh, acknowledge that that th- this is a big leadership decision. Um, the, the framework implementation guide, especially chapters 11 and 12 in their the common challenges ha- go into this. So there's about you know six or seven pages people could read and see the team's you know best thoughts on this topic. But, uh, but more generally <clears throat> There's something about the question. I, th- I think the way you asked it, you know, when 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 have you spent enough? That I, I based on my experience working with the research community, I'm not sure that's. I, I i definitely don't think that's the first question that needs to be asked, um, because I, what we've seen community survey, what I think Trusted CI's experience is um, in conducting a. a Dozens of engagements with the community is that there is a lot of variety, a lot of variation um, from research organization to research organization in terms of cybersecurity maturity, in terms of spending. Um, and um, before I worry about have we spent enough, I I think there's some other fundamental questions like, do you know what you're spending? on cybersecurity. That's actually the budget chapter. That's really what it's about is saying you got, you need to spend something and you need to know what that is. You need to be able to identify uh, uh, a budget. Um, Do you know what your cybersecurity obligations are beyond your, your own natural sense of wanting to protect your science mission? Like, the stakeholder requirements, laws, and stuff like that, those can drive uh, spending too. Um, Do you really know what information assets that you have, where they are? Do you know what information assets, data flows, and and stuff that that are coming through your organization? Like those are really fundamental things that I think would drive the, the question around spending Um,
0: I like that you jumped right into one of my next questions, which was (laughs) what, what about organizations that think cybersecurity will just happen because they have an IT budget and cybersecurity kind of sounds like an IT thing? Ooh,
2: I mean, I, I, I question these days, Susan, I question, are there really organizations that are, does that really represent how anybody really thinks about this?
0: Sadly, I'm working with one right now. Okay. <laughs> um, th- their leadership really doesn't want cybersecurity to be its own line item. It's just been assumed to be part of the IT budget thus far.
2: Okay, what I would say in that specific case mm-hmm. is that if if an, if the organization is bound and determined, or because it's this is how they've always done it, that it's they don't just don't want to change that they want cybersecurity spending to be a part of. IT spending, some percentage, some part of IT spending, I would say if that may or may not be the, the best way to go. We could talk about that more. But at a minimum, you've got to know within IT, within that IT budget, assuming you have an identifiable IT or an identifiable technology budget, you've got to know, well, what, what is being spent on cybersecurity? If... If you can't figure that out, then you have no chance of benchmarking. You have no chance of being able to come to, you know, you, you, you cannot do the due diligence to make the decision to say, well, we've spent enough now.
0: Well, mm-hmm. what are
2: you um, So.
0: Awesome. Um, Thank you.
2: But whether or not the budget, whether it's smart to have the budget live under the IT budget solely, I think is is another can of worms. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you want, I don't know if people want to hear the complete, the complete story, but
0: um so how do vendor solutions fit in? Whether that's a technology that they buy, a service they engage like Research SOC, um, building in a virtual security team rather than running it in-house, how does that work with the framework?
2: Um, you know, just referring specifically to the framework, um, the resources pillar has four musts, okay? The, the first one, must 11, is about you've got to dedicate adequate resources to, to cybersecurity to mitigate unacceptable risks. Otherwise, it's the whole thing sort of blows apart. If you've determined, look, we can't accept this risk, but we're also not going to spend any resources to do anything about it. That's a bad situation to be in. So that's that's kind of the parent uh, must under resources. Um, the other ones are budget, personnel, and external cybersecurity resources. So th- those are the categories that we've broken down. The types of resources that we think are must-haves. You know, if you if you have an identified budget and you're only using, you only have external. Uh, cybersecurity resources, we don't believe that that you can have a competent cybersecurity program. Some internal personnel resources have to be allocated uh, to to make this work. So as an example, so things like vendors, vendors, um, you know, very much fall under uh, must 14. Organizations must identify external. I'm looking at my, my little uh, pretty one pager that I just printed out. Um, organizations must identify external cybersecurity resources to support the, uh, the cybersecurity program. The, you know, there are great external resources of all different kinds. Research sock being one of them. Um, you know, all kinds of vendors being others, consultants, whatever. Um, you know, people who supply tools and technologies for cybersecurity. Uh, you know, information sharing groups, REN, ISAC, the list goes on. Um, there's there's good ones, there's bad ones, there, and in between, like there's amazing stuff, there's snake oil, um, and so um, you know, thought thought has to go in, and vetting has to go into um, how much you spend on those and which ones you choose. But you'll know, you know from our perspective, external cybersecurity resources are a must. Like I, uh, I don't believe and I don't think my colleagues and, and uh, the people who've worked in this field for a long time believe that uh, any organization can kind of just go it alone. Um, as you point out, Susan, very often uh, the attackers, you know, share a lot and, mm-hmm. and think of themselves as a, <laughs> a community and, and we certainly need to as well. So it would be within that, within, you know, the, within that must that you get into that consideration of um, not only what external resources that we're, that we're going to use, but how do we balance those against the other, the other costs uh, and other expenditures of doing cybersecurity.
0: So, what's your favorite part about introducing the framework to an organization that hasn't had it before?
2: Um, So far I think my favorite part has been you know sometimes you know to my surprise frankly uh, oh my goodness (laughs) working from home and like one of my dogs is going bananas I apologize not the most effective security control, I can tell you. She's, she's only vicious when the, the doors are closed. So um, favorite part is, I'll, I'll tell you a story. I sat down with just this and the CEO of a company. And who, who, who gets it that cybersecurity is like a big deal, but that's, he's, he's, that's not what he's trained in. Um, he's trying to get up to speed. And pretty quickly, you know, this guy was like, okay, this is kind of speaking to me. This is different. I had, you know, that I haven't seen this before. So like, that's my favorite part is, is just seeing that this has been able to kind of quickly connect with, with folks who, I mean, you know, frankly, a lot of other cybersecurity guidance, even really, really good mm-hmm. uh, cybersecurity guidance is not just doesn't touch on these basics. Um, uh, is not written in a way that um, non cybersecurity people or non technologists can can wrap their heads around. Um, so kind of just getting that that recognition. Okay, this thing might might make a difference for people. Has been kind of cool.
0: Um, that rolls us into. There's this huge emphasis on. Leadership, budget, and policy. Um, what would you say to the PIs, the other science leaders, who say, "Well, I started a program and got to CISO so because I never want to think about cybersecurity again"?
2: Well, first, I would say that I, you know, I I sympathize, right? I mean, like, if this wasn't such a big problem, I'd be happy to work on a, you know, a more tractable problem like climate change or something. You know? <laughs> But the it, it's it, I feel for for leaders of any kind because it's it's such a weird problem um, you know there's not a lot of other uh, parts of doing business or doing science you know get, getting things done in this world where you know normal old people who are not law enforcement who are not counterintelligence or whatever are are told look you're gonna be attacked uh, by criminals and maybe even nation states and they're going to try to mess with your stuff like every day and um do you better do the best you can to fight them off you know that's just weird um and you know absolutely i think you know everybody kind of all every organization kind of needs to do at least its reasonable part (laughs) of fighting this fight uh even though we can't fight back, but, you know, defending this fight, um, you know, if there were, if there were organizational leaders who, who, you know, I think your question was more like, I've named a CISO, so I don't have to deal with this anymore. I would have. There's a more nuanced answer here. Um, you know, Must Five says organizations must involve leadership in cybersecurity decision making. Um, that does not mean that uh, organizational leaders have to be part of every single freaking decision, right? But they 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 have to remain involved, and that's for a few reasons. One, senior leaders are ultimately responsible for the success or failure of their their organization. It's sort of, just sort of a principle that's built into our society, not, not even just on a, le- a legal level, but very much at a, at a policy level uh, in most corners of, of our society. Um, if, if, if cybersecurity threats were really de minimis, like were really, really small, if, if the threat to the science enterprise was was really small then maybe you could do a kind of fire and forget delegation like I'm just going to delegate you know it's like if I'm going to delegate emptying the dishwasher to my five-year-old it might have been perfect but there's just not a ton of risk um to to the kid to the family to the household if if it was really low risk I think it'd be okay but I think we know from you know uh and I think people, probably a lot of people know listening that, that it, it's just not the case. The the risk is not trivial. Um, people are everywhere, and certainly within this community are facing cyber attacks every single day. Um, and ultimately, I don't know. I'm collecting my thoughts here. Um, the I think you hire a CISO for the same reason that you hire a doctor or a lawyer now I'm a lawyer so I will talk about doctors <laughs> you, you you hire a doctor like you go to your your general practitioner you know your fa- your family practitioner because even kind of for the basics of taking care of the human body and over time i've I'm now substantially over forty and I've started to fall apart. So I'm really aware of this. Like it's complicated, and um, you know, I, I I like I go to the, I go to that I go to doctor I go to my doctor because she uh, can deal with this complex thing. It can offload. It can relieve the cognitive load on me, and I can get good advice and and some diagnosis. Right. Similarly, other kind of doctor like a surgeon, right? I I have a surgeon do, you know, uh, my whatever surgery. I, I don't. I thought about describing the last surgery I had. Not going to do that. But you you know you hire a surgeon because you couldn't possibly do this yourself. You need training. You need expertise. That doesn't mean that you just blindly say yes to every single thing your general practitioner does. That does not mean that you, you know, that a, that a surgeon who really likes to cut says, oh, well, we should, we should repair that, and you just say yes, without any sort of informed consent, without getting more information, thinking it through. And I think it's very similar here. Um, the, the, when designed well, I think that CISO, that cybersecurity, cybersecurity lead role is really about providing advice to the organization and providing, providing sort of expert services. Um, but you, yeah, it's just fire, fire and forget kind of delegation in the space. I, I, I don't think it's wise. I don't think it would be good. It's not good for the organization.
0: I love that doctor analogy, by the way. Thank you. Um, so you've heard me talk before about out-of-order security, like the organization that doesn't have an asset inventory doesn't have any monitoring, um, doesn't have any kind of configuration management, doesn't have two-factor auth, has reused passwords. They have sort of these the lack of the basic control set, but they want to jump into more advanced cybersecurity activities like pen testing and analyzing different threat models and trying to track threat actors, things like that. Do you think that the framework can help people, help an organization make smart investments that they can really benefit from? And if not, what would you recommend to sort of guide people away from that particular failure mode?
2: Um, yeah, I do, I do think the cyber, uh, I, I do think the, the trusted CI framework uh, can help with this. And I think the framework implementation guide has some good guidance. Um, in this area, um, first off, you know some some of the, a, a number of the things you rattled off, you would, would clearly call these are cybersecurity controls.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And going back, we mentioned this earlier. Must fifteen is about adopting and using a baseline control set or sets. Some places are going to need sets because they're going to have some corner of what they're doing that needs a different level of control or type of control. Um, the best ones of those sets, the CIS controls being the, the gold, are highly prioritized and the CIS controls just keep getting more prioritized and they're not just doing it willy nilly it's a it's a pretty diverse group of people who, who work on keeping that set updated they're on 7.1 now still I think I hope, uh, because that's what we keep talking about. And, and so I would I would absolutely say, look, let's let's sit down. You know, if you want to talk about, there you go. If you want to talk about, if you want to talk about prioritizing controls, and put aside a second, prioritizing getting our governance in order for how we're going to run cybersecurity. Um, you know, put aside like you know exactly how we're going to dial in, getting the resource and the budget and stuff right. I would sit down with them with the, the, the highest priority controls and say, let's talk about these. Um, the, you know, implementation, the way they've got the CIS set up now there's these implementation groups. If, if, if CIS says um, that, uh, you know, a control is good for implementation group one, which is like very small, very small look organizations with it, very low resources, you know, not a lot of resources to put at cybersecurity and you can't do those, now we've got something to work on, right? So, um, yeah. So the the, the the framework implementation guy would definitely lead, lead people in that sort of direction.
0: So as you know, we have a pretty operational crowd here at Research SOC webinars. Um, one of the things that I think has given some operational people surprise is that one of the four pillars out of the framework core is focused around controls. So that's, you know, there's three whole other pillars that are given equal weight. What? why is that good and useful? And are there situations where that's not a great way to focus?
1: Hmm.
2: So why is that good and useful? And at a really simple level, the the other three pillars, mission alignment, governance, and resources are the foundational things that you need to make the controls work. To do controls in a way that's sane or makes sense. Um, I'll give you. I'm going to give you another metaphor, but I've got to credit Rants and Ricks with, with this one. So w- the controls are like w- you know where the rubber meets the road when it comes to security, and I think that's part of why people focus on them. That's those are the shields you know that you're putting in place that are that are they're coming into contact with the external environment, coming into contact with threat uh, actors. Okay, rubber meets the road. If those are the tires, the other three pillars are like, that's the car. You want a car going down the road you, that has a drivetrain transmission, steering, fuel, stuff like that. You do not want four tires just kind of bouncing around. And I think we see that. I think we see you know, organizations that don't have the other fundamentals in place. And they just pick up the controls, the control sets, of which a lot of the controls in there are very technical. Um, and there, there's, there's, a, there's a disorganized rollout, if you will, of those. And we see things, you know, kind of go off the, go off the road, so, so to speak, because the other pieces are not in place. The other, thing, the other thing I will say, Susan, is just to go back to, I think it was one of the first things we talked about um, today is um, we don't need to spend a ton of time talking about controls because there are really good third-party resources. If, if there was no CIS, if, if, if Australia hadn't done as much as they've done with evidence-based you know, control sets, if we didn't have these good things out there, then maybe we would come up with our own big list of controls, but, but we've got good things and we need to be using them. And frankly, we need to be providing feedback back into the communities like like CIS, very community or bigger community oriented thing, um, you know, get, getting our voices into that space to, to influence the, you know, how, those, how those tools evolve.
0: Awesome. We have our first audience question. Rick Wagner asks, is there a simple tracker for the musts?
2: <laughs> Great question um, about like about a week before we had the framework implementation guide come out. I feel like the like even even internally people started asking that question a lot. OK, how, how do we track this thing? Um, the, 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 short, the on, short and honest answer right now is is no, there is not. Um, in one of my earlier slides, I said, you know, I think if you're going to do tracking on the musts, what I would, what I would recommend, if you want to get started with this thing right away, which would be awesome, is look at each of them, ask yourself, have, have we done something with this? If yes, cool, how's it going? What, you know, get in a room, pick up the phone, talk to some people about that and get a sense of the current state. Do we feel like the choices that we've made make sense? Are they working for us? Um, You know, that may inspire change or it may inspire you to go, okay, cool. We're doing pretty good on this one, right? This is not meant to be a super high standard. if if you have if if you if you look at the the at a must and you say, you know what, we really haven't done that. We really haven't figured out, like on risk acceptance, we really haven't figured out who's making what risk acceptance decisions. Is it like every user? Is it only one person? If you haven't figured that out yet, then then Okay, you've got some action items, right? You can go look at that chapter of the FIG more closely. Um, think about why why haven't you, why have you not made progress in that space um, and what might you do? Thank you. Well, uh, sorry, let, let me say, I think there's gonna be enough demand signal for some sort of tracker that um, I'm sure that will produce one. One thing, that we've talked about a lot internally is uh, I I really, really hope that, you know, you've got a list of 16 things. If if somebody turns that list of 16 things into a list of 16 or 16 times in check boxes, you know, that's going to hurt my heart. Now, my very close colleagues, you know, Scott Russell would say, well, you know, if you're familiar with the book Checklist Manifesto, like maybe we can make the first good checklist ever, you know, or something for cybersecurity, um, we may try. Um, and the last thing I'll say on this is, is you know, we're busy folks. So if people, I think it was Rick, you know, if people out there really want to see that, if you guys call for additional tools, templates and stuff like that, that that helps us get support from our leadership to, to go create these things. I said that was the last thing. There's still one more. We do have a CIS uh, implementation, decision and implementation tracking tool. So if you go to TrustCI framework, TrustCI.org framework, one of the sub-nav pages is tools and templates. And we do maintain uh, a CIS thing. And it's just a spreadsheet, but it's it's, it's designed to be, simple and laid out and, you know, help organizations kickstart going, where are we with these different controls? Are we cool with where we are?
0: Okay, thank you so much. So any more audience questions? Because I have a couple more, but I'd rather speak to what you guys are most interested in. I don't see any raised hands currently. Hopefully, they're typing in the Q and A. So, um, I've talked a whole lot of control about controls, and that's because a lot of people in our audience are the folks who, you know, leadership says go do cybersecurity, and they're trying to pick the right controls, make sure they get implemented. Um, one of the first things that you said is the framework is for a program. It's not a project. It doesn't have a beginning and end. It's not a control set that you can check off. It is a program. Um, how can tech leadership do a better job of getting organizational leadership on board with the idea that we can't just have a beginning and done checklist, and when it's done, cybersecurity is over and handled? How do, how do they sell the idea of a program? Um.
2: It's a tough question because, in part because I live in this world. I I see cybersecurity as a similar to to other areas where organizations need to systematically deal with risk that, you know, it's just one of those things it's not going to go away. You know, maybe we'll get some sort of AI thing or some quantum thing or something in a few years and cybersecurity will stop being a problem. It's it's just, it's not going away at all. Um, And so, and, and it, it evolves. Now, sometimes cybersecurity people are, are guilty of being like, cybersecurity is ever evolving and it's constantly changing. And I, I'm not so sure that it's that constantly changing. But it, a lot of the, the, the processes and decisions that need to be made in cybersecurity, they, that they're not going to stop. Let me, let, let me get here. Maybe this would be motivating. So you've got a research organization that is uh, ha- has not invested, not invested very much in cybersecurity has not really gotten its act together. Um, it has a, a pretty significant attack that it only learns about because like federal law enforcement calls or something like that. So okay, big time wake-up call, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? <clears throat> so you know fearing for their, Funding agencies being upset or whatever, people get it together and they put together a fairly good-looking budget. Hey, we're gonna we're gonna react to this bad thing that happened and really seriously invest in cybersecurity. Um, does your investment in year one of your awakening need to be as high as it is in year three? Maybe. Maybe not. I mean, that's the kind that, you know, that's the kind of decision that leadership has to, is going to want to keep its eye on. It's not that cybersecurity is ever going to go away, but there's a tuning process over time. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I mean, if if there are really people who think this is a, a problem, you can you know, if you will just do these 7,000 things or whatever it is, it, you're, it's solved. I just don't, I don't think that stands up to the reality that we see today. Um, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to be a cybersecurity person to pick up the Wall Street Journal or whatever and see how, it may not be as evolving as fast as some people say, but it's it's continuing, it's not getting better, um, and the, the, the threat environment that we work in is not getting better. You know, things, you know, we're connecting more stuff, not, let you know, not reducing and things like that. So we're...
0: Absolutely. I, we I, only have a handful of minutes left, so I'm going to stop you so that we can get our last audience question in. Anonymous attendee asks, any strategies for moving the needle within the pillars concurrently? Are some of the musts Things that need to happen before the others.
2: Oh, that's a great question. Um, that I mentioned on my slides. I think it was page seven. Is the is that getting started like single pager? Um, and and we specifically tried to address that a little bit on that in that page. But you know, in a nutshell, um, a few things. One. Uh, we would, I would discourage anyone from thinking that you can take like one must at a time and complete them. It's just, it's not going to be a sequential process. You're going to need like a program plan, a a strategy that says which of these rocks can we push forward, you know, in parallel. And that's that's part of the need for a program, right, is that it's complex. You're going to have projects as part of this That come to an end, there's going to be other things that, you know, um, you know, a meeting where the the CISO and senior leadership talk that's that's going to need to become ongoing. Um, So you've you've got to think about parallel tracks, so don't don't get focused on doing this serially that said. um, I would strongly encourage folks, and I I think we put this in the chapter, you cannot ignore the mission alignment pillar. Right. If the philosophically right that the whole point of cybersecurity is to enable the mission, the whole point of cybersecurity and science is to enable science to keep it going. Right. So we can trust the data so that so the instrument is working when we need it to work. Um, so, you know, it, the, those things uh, warrant um, early attention for sure. Um, One last thing I will say, and I think this goes back a little bit to some of Susan's other questions about controls. We'll come back to controls a little bit is, you know, if if you're just being pummeled with attacks or semi successful attacks that are draining, you know, the blood out of you slowly. um, Doing some triage and getting some really core controls really core policies and th- things in place in a hurry. I-, I don't think that's a bad idea. You know, I, I-, I think it in-, in some cases you may want to, you know, you know focus on incident response, fo- focus, on, focus on stopping the bleeding and then pivot to mission alignment and the, and the other spaces.
0: Thank you so much. Um, I think we're nearly to the end of our time. So I asked almost all the questions I wanted to ask. We got through all of our audience questions. And I think it's time to let Todd wrap it up.
1: Thank you. I'll go ahead and share my screen. We should see a screen that says connect with research SOC. Great. So we want to thank Craig Jackson and Susan Sons for that great presentation, that great discussion. Um, We wanna thank our audience for our great questions. Um, That is all the information and really all the time we have for today, because we like to end about five minutes before the hour. So you can get to your next Zoom meeting. You can find more information on the research Stock website, including past webinars and events that may be of interest. You can also find that on our YouTube channel With that, ladies and gentlemen, we thank you for your presence and your attention, and this concludes today's webinar. Have a great day. Thank you.